Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing Asia coping better with COVID-19 than the rest of the world. And due to the lockdown, unusually, we're recording this remotely. Chris, is Asia coping better with um, the current situation with COVID-19 than the rest of the world? Well, I mean, that is uh, that is debatable. But I think on the whole, if you look at things, because there are obviously all sorts of discussions about whether or not uh, China has, has announced, you know, the full extent of um, those affected in, in, in China. Mm. Um, but if you look at the reported figures, right, with a, taking those with a pinch of salt, Mm. You you have China with fewer than five thousand deaths uh, as we as we stand, uh, mm. Japan three hundred twenty eight, mm. South Korea two hundred forty, Singapore twelve. Now obviously you've got to adjust those to the sizes of populations and all those yeah. kinds of things. But then if you look at uh, the U.S. and major European countries, the U.S. is on around fifty thousand deaths, and and many major European countries, with the the exception of Germany on around 20,000 deaths. Yeah. So obviously there are discrepancies between reporting and some you know, uh, data may have been covered up, underestimated, so on and so forth. Also, there may be issues to do with whether or not it's the right strategy to stop everybody from, from getting it and you know, not building up a certain number of people with immunity and so on. But regardless of that, I think all, all major you know, developed nations would have sought to probably try and minimize the number of, of people dying from it in the first instance and mm. kind of keep hold of it and, you know, postpone it spreading as, as much as possible and, and, and try and sort of keep track of things. And it seems on those on those measures, Asia has probably done considerably better than than Europe and North America uh, mm. by and large. So that got me thinking, well, like, you know, that's quite that's quite stark. It might just be in this specific area but of disease management because they, they have had, you know, uh, recent epidemics to have to, to cope with uh, recently, uh, you know, SARS and um, so on uh, previously. So they may be better set up for this particular type of crisis. But mm. I couldn't help asking the question to myself, is this one of those times in history where you suddenly realize, oh, that particular part of the world or that region or that power is mm. now better at doing stuff than some other other power uh yeah. you know is is this you know the the time when the west uh might when we look back historically this might be one of the indicators that the west wasn't quite as good as we thought it was and asia was better uh, you know certainly east asia was better than than we thought it was okay and, and that's really what we want to talk about is at certain times we're talking about power shifts aren't we we're talking about how how you know that the world has changed and this is a moment of kind of where something is revealed so um and i guess what's handy with covid19 is it's a global thing and so we can get a global comparison i suppose um nick would you like to weigh in yeah, I mean, on the specific issue, I think um, I suspect people, uh, if we were being self-delusional about it, let's say we might convince ourselves that the uh, the reason that we haven't managed the disease as, as comprehensively as Asian countries is because we put a higher value on kind of individual liberty and less on kind of collective decision making. Um, but that's probably, you know, that's a bit of a rationalisation, possibly. Um, uh, I mean, in, in on the issue of 
you know, well, I don't, as Chris says, I think it's probably too early to say anything about whether this indicates, uh, you know, that 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 the West is falling apart. Um, but it is certainly part of a, a longer term uh, trend in um you know, of, of people thinking about the rise of China, for example, and the decline of the US. Uh, and, um, and and I think, you know, looking back that you can pinpoint certainly some key events or key trends that have happened, uh, you know, obviously big examples like wars. When you have a war, it's like a kind of a global reevaluation. And, you mm. know, after the after World War One, it, you know, killed off the empires of Europe, and that was the end of the Austro-Hungarians and the end of the Ottomans, you know, which had been going for hundreds of years, um, all sort of swept away. And likewise, uh, you know, sort of similar, I guess, you, you know, the the um, decline of uh, the British Empire, well, when we sort of gave it away over the course of a few years, it came to a sort of sudden end, um, the, the end of the Soviet Union. Uh, it, which you could date almost precisely. I mean, it sort of happened in 1989 and 1990. That that was the end of the Soviet Union and kind of European communism. Um, and uh, you know, so you, sometimes they happen in very in very big ways. But in, in you know, some other times. So the the relative rise of the US, for example, certainly not something that uh, that was noted. Um, because we had a war with them or anything but you know probably around the 1890s the us just became more powerful than the uk than than you know the british empire um and uh that's really just a you know slow rise from the part on the part of the us and a slow decline on the part of the british empire um and uh and you know but it never really came to a head and, and i think actually in many ways people didn't really notice you know british people didn't really wake up to the fact that uh we were no longer top dog until probably you know world war ii uh, and yeah. possibly even afterwards you know possibly things like suez um where that was sort of really felt like the nail in the coffin of the british empire so you know it's something that that obviously these things can go on for a long time without without really you know there being a major event which precipitates that but 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 i mean what's interesting is it takes these um these sort of benchmark uh benchmarking kind of events to to make the world realize you know like there's a classic example um of the the russo japanese war of uh you know the turn of the 20th century where um essentially i mean you know russia had its it's ass handed to it by uh, by Japan, uh, and it, it made the global community realise that first of all, you know, Imperial Russia was a bit of a a, a bit of a, a sort of sick man of Europe, and that um, you know Japan was a a now a global a global power, and it's uh, you know, and and that precipitated all kinds of of events, both in terms of the way Japan was treated by the international community. Uh, uh, post that period and you know things that happened internally within those countries so you know russia itself uh it, it, arguably that that was a catalyst for you know the revolutionary um activity that took over the next couple of decades and you know in japan the fact that they sort of they won the war but lost the peace you know but demonstrated that that they had martial and economic competence you know, in many ways, um, uh, may have uh, been a, a sort of um, uh, an encouragement for their their more sort of expansionist policy, which 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 you know kind of resulted in the Second World Second World War, or their their involvement in the Second World War. So here's a question: um, and thinking about this as uh, as analysts, 
Um, we, you've, I, I like the term you used there, Chris, which was benchmark events, because those are sort of events where everyone can, you know, any kind of layperson can sort of see that things have shifted, right? So, but we also talked earlier on about how, and, and, and when it's less perceptible, and you were talking about, Nick, um, the growth of the US, decline of, you, of British Empire, et cetera. Um, so here's the question. How is it when, when there's no benchmark event and you want to have some sort of, you know, as analysts, you want to know what's going on and be able to predict, project um, um, what's happening. How can you, how as analysts, can you figure out when there is a shift when there's no benchmark event? Yeah, well, um, there is. Um, so um, uh, Jay Singer, uh, I think since the 1970s, uh, has put together a, a thing called the um, Composite Index of National Capability. Uh, which is part of the Correlates of War project. And that takes, I think, six measures, in, including things like GDP and industrial production um, and, and those sorts of things, and, and bungs them together into an index of power. And that's a really interesting approach. Oh. And, it, and, it, and it, you know, you can look at the graph over time, over the last sort of, uh, I mean, it goes back to the, you know, well, about 200 years, and see history uh, more or less replayed in the form of some graphs, some lines going up and down. You know, you can see very clear spikes in the US uh, US power during the world wars. And, and then over the course of the 19th century, you know, a, a sort of orange line gradually descending, which is the British Empire, um, gradually descending until it until it sort of dips below the, the, the rising US line um, oh. in, in the at the end of the 19th century. And then you, you look at things like uh, Russia, powerful right up until sort of the end of the uh, uh to, till the sort of middle of the 19th century really and then and then uh you know rises once again um you know with the with uh during the sort of soviet union days and then drops off precipitously in uh you know in the, in, at the end of the 1980s um and then at the same time you see the french sort of gradually fizzle out over the 19th century and become kind of a a, a you know second league player like like and um but then you then you you know sort of below 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 uh china you have india following a similar pattern actually to, to that of china mm. but china is the big story from the last so over the last sort of well since the ninth since about 1990 the us has not as as the, the so this this chart shows a sort of quite steep decline in in us power from the the sort of roughly the the end of the second world war essentially that to today but it hasn't really changed much over the last 30 years while china has risen and risen and is now above above the us so oh. i think on the on those indicators you know which include industrial production and so on um china has you know on, according to this its index value is higher and and if this is a meaningful index then you know china has become the, a more uh, you know a more powerful nation than the us um so that's that's one way of doing it I, I, it's probably as as good as any and as yeah. comprehensive as any yeah. um it, so yeah yeah well i th I, th I think it's it's interesting obviously you can have um this sort of approach of measuring underlying factors and trying to um trying to keep track of uh you know where a, where a country uh, or you know nation state is at any one time but ultimately uh it's a little bit like um you know heavyweight boxers is you know they, they can kind of go along in parallel but it's it's only really when you you put them in some kind of direct competition mm -hmm. that you, yeah. that you understand you, you know there's, there's still uncertainties that that um 
you know kind of need need to be resolved and i, I and i think war is actually um a very good test of all those underlying indicators that we were talking about you know if you look at uh sort of you know technology obviously in your ability to to harness technology plays a role in um uh, warfare your economic strength your sort of political cohesion and ability to marshal your your nation uh the alliances that you've built up your position within the sort of global community all of those things come into come into play during during war and so you know that's that's why something like a war is a is a you know is often when you get this acknowledgement of a power shift because it's a direct kind of competition yeah and i think when uh churchill said something along the lines of you know if 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 there wouldn't be a war in the first place if if the the other side didn't think they had a chance and um you know in a sense it, it is a good way of resolving that uncertainty about who is top um but i mean just sort of looking at the at that that measure you know you can see that the, the it, you basically have long periods of of steady of sort of steady rise or steady steady uh, decline um but but you also you know you can just get you it can, things can just change without without anyone noticing so i mean you you have uh you know the the end of the soviet union for example is not something that was reflected in any change actually over the course of um, you know the the run up to the to the to 1990. So you wouldn't have been able to look at this chart and say, well, the Soviet Union is declining. Um, but I think I think it, you know it's certainly a useful prompt to discuss things like you know, well, yeah, is China I, I, actually more powerful? It, it raises the idea actually. I hadn't I hadn't kind of thought about this previously, but you know whether this uh, these these shifts in power are kind of um, linear or or incremental you know or or sort of that you know whether you get step changes and i think i think you probably do and i think um some of these benchmarking events are often then sort of self-fulfilling in some way you know so uh, a a nation feels humiliated or whatever and and starts to doubt its own prowess and you know goes into some you know they then have a revolution which makes things worse and uh you know whatever it whatever it might be likewise a, a country unexpectedly does well at something and there's national pride and other countries then sort of think oh hang on a minute you know we we ought to support this country they're obviously the the you know the preeminent power in our area now and things things change for them so i i think you know it, it's true you know you do get these these kind of um quite gradual shifts in power between you know the us going up and the british empire going down but i think these these particular types of events are often um great catalysts for much more radical shifts in Mm. in power they accelerate things basically yeah so i Um, I had a look at uh had a look at empires yeah because there's obviously quite there's some pretty good data out there it's not perfect uh it's dodgy in a lot of ways um but um, particularly like look one of the things I looked for was when when was the empire at its largest extent, and I don't I don't and just in terms of space because obviously in the past we didn't really have any good measures of GDP and so on. So you, you you've got to kind of look at how big but, it was before um, you continue. And I know yeah. you're going to go. You're, I'm sure you're going to go across a bunch of empires, but I'm going to predict or not predict. But I think the the British Empire was at its height. Uh, in geographical terms, around 1900, 1902. But anyway, we can come back to that. I'll, I'll, you, you, you go. Sorry, I interrupt you. You go on. Uh, British Empire, uh, yes, uh, 1920. Oh, uh, I was well out. Oh well, no. I mean, you know, the British well, Empire I mean, did. 
it like it, I mean, it'd been going since uh well when when's me when's me earliest uh i reckon it says here yeah, about 16th century i'd have, I'd have thought yeah 1603 it says oh, here yeah, um so t- so taking the time when the empire is at its height and uh comparing that to you know the life cycle of the whole empire um yeah. and i filtered out crappy empires that no one's heard of so they had to be at least a million square kilometers right yeah. which is not i mean there's quite a lot of empires in there um mm-hmm. but so so on average uh empires last for about 270 years that's the average mm-hmm. length of an empire. Some mm-hmm. are real corkers and go on for over a thousand years, but uh, others, others, you know, only last like the Italian Empire last for you know a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the uh, average time to sort of maximum extent, I reckon, is about one hundred and ten years, and okay. the the average time from that to the end of the empire is one hundred and sixty years. So mm. in fact, empires are in decline on average for longer than they're rising. Um, but within that, obviously, you, you have a lot of variation. So that you, I, I was looking at the what are the empires with the shortest rise to decline ratio, right? So this is empires who kind of come in with a big bang, and then and then uh, spend a long, long time uh, declining. And the, must be something like. So I keep interrupting you, but this is fascinating. I would imagine if it's classed within there, like the Third Reich would be pretty good on that sort of. Um, on that um, yeah i'm not i'm I'm not i will have a quick look uh to see where that where that appears in my list um yeah last a thousand years and it fell short by about 900 and yeah on its own terms it was a bit of a failure um uh the german uh, that's the other german empire let me just find i'm not sure oh the third reich um it it was uh oh it was never big enough Right, yeah, yeah. So now I've got about um, it, with in in my um, above my the cutoff, Mongols. there's 50, 50 empires. Yeah, oh. the Mongols. The well, I think this is the Mongols. The the um, uh, the Gotuk Khaganate. Is that? Is yeah. That well, Mongol? I mean, there were so uh, you know you had the 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 um, oh, what was it the 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 golden the golden Khanate, yeah, and then they, there was something to do with sheep at some point as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, so they started, they kicked off in five fifty two, and were at their biggest extent in just five years later. Um, and then they then they spent another sort of two hundred years uh, just you know disappearing. Um, but yeah, so they're top actually. And then you have uh, the Seleucids. Um, then a bunch of Chinese dynasties, which I don't really know very much about. So the Song, the Jin, the Qin dynasty. But and- let's not forget everyone's favorite empire the roman empire mm. which of course didn't end till the 15th century because byzantium was a direct mm. continuation of the roman empire so um so the roman empire was is up there in the sort of the 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 these empires which you know peter out for much longer than they uh than they than they uh took to took to appear but i also looked at the opposite right so empires which which you know rose and rose and rose and rose and then disappeared within a few short years of their height so who yeah. do you think's in there uh well um alexander's uh alexander uh, well, well you know i mean he, he went up quick he went up very quickly didn't he i mean that was that was in like within like 10 years virtually yeah he'd, spot he'd, on the macedonian yeah. the macedonian empire is in there it's in, it's in the sort of top 10 yeah okay but you're right, Chris, because that was quite a, a quick burner, and then, yeah. and then an even quicker decline. Um, no, but it would be the the um, the uh, Genghis Khan. 
um, whatever one class is it? Was it, is he a Mong? Is that was he a Mongol? No, I think we've um, just done the Mongols, haven't we? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's what I'm getting. Confused. Yeah, no, it's the opposite. So, so you're, so you're saying are, things are that... empires that take a long time, yeah, to yeah. reach their greatest extent and then disappear very quickly. Yeah, well, no, I mean, yeah, I would yeah. say then the, 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 the British, bang. the British Empire must British have empire, built up definitely. over over a, you know a very long. We've said what, what three four hundred yeah. years. Yeah, so you've got your the Mughals. Yeah, okay. the Rashidun Caliphate. Um, then, then basically the European empires, Spanish Empire, uh, the British Empire, the French Empire, and um, the the Italian Empire, of course, uh, and yeah. the and the the Empire of Japan, all up there in empires who you know really sort of their their decline came very soon after they were at their at their height. So, yeah. you know, I think you've got two different different business models if you like of empire there yeah. and and the question is well i mean you it's going to be hard then the fact that these you can be either of these doesn't tell you i mean even if you knew you were at your peak right now you, you your end could be could be tomorrow or it could be another thousand years mm -hmm. um so yeah I, I think i think the 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 lesson there is you know that's uh that's sort of it's very difficult to tell from just from the longevity of an empire um, that actually you you know it doesn't matter how long you've been going for you you still can't really be terribly confident about um, yeah. you know how long you've got left. I've got I've got a question, uh, but Chris, because um, I, I want to bring us a little bit back on track. Um, but before I do, Chris, anything you want to say? Um, no, I mean I think I think the interesting thing, you know, obviously empires are sort of one uh, method and of of kind of governing a, a, a sort of portion of territory or being a power. Um, mm. And I think one of the th one of the things that's quite interesting is, you know, you talked about different Chinese empires, but, mm. you know, you in many cases, you might see sort of imperial China as, you know, a thousand years worth of, of history, right? And um, uh, that while you had different dynasties in charge and there may have been flux while those dynasties were taking over and so on, um, arguably, it's one continuum of history that, you know, the technology didn't, they didn't totally reinvent their governance system and throw out all the old technology. You know, it's the same territory, the same yeah. people and culture and so on uh, with with some, you know, sort of subtle changes. So. Well, then that brings that brings me on to this uh, something I read quite recently, actually, in, in Sapiens by, uh, by uh, Hariri. I don't know if you guys have read that. I think I have. I'm yeah. aware Quite of it. A good book, but anyway, yeah. there, there's a chapter about empires um, being one of the predominant unifying forces in history, mm, and mm. Um, and he he basically makes the argument that empires don't actually disappear, right? They because what they do is they just become the culture. So you know that, um, uh, but the the cycle of empire that that he sort of sketches out as a kind of you know idealized model is that first of all a small group establishes a big empire. Uh, and then there's an imperial culture that's forged, which is very much, you know, the elite. The the empire is is run by the people who founded it, and they're the elite, and everyone else kind of works for them. And then at some point, uh, the subject peoples adopt that ruling culture, and eventually demand equality. So you had, you know, at the beginning, you had of the Roman Empire, you had the, Ro yeah. the Romans essentially ruling a bunch of uh, barbarians. Those barbarians basically became Romans. Um, and and then, you know, co-opted the Roman state. And then when it disappeared, well, essentially you've got Roman, I mean, you've got Roman culture essentially yeah. still hanging around today. Yeah. Likewise, yeah. Uh, you could say that, you know, actually the British Empire 
is in terms of the kind of the rules that that uh, we sort of developed in Europe uh, for how country what countries are like, you know, the sort of Westphalian idea of what a country is. Is essentially now the norm. The rest of the world, uh, not to mention the anglophone world, and uh, you know the sort of Anglo-Saxon system of law and economic yeah. governance. Well, exactly. So, so like actually, maybe you know, you could say on one hand that the European empires are all dead and have d- disappeared, but on the other hand, on the other hand, they're, they're still thriving away. Yeah, and actually, that kind of brings me back to what I want to talk about, which is this this question of of how we notice these shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I wanted to ask was. Um, how how does this matter and why does this matter? So what I was thinking about is if, if on, let's say going by that, I forget the name, the, the person, the study that you mentioned with the graphs and so on, Nick, um, which, you know, using different set of metrics plots that China is currently more powerful. Yeah, the composite index of national capability. It's catchy, isn't it? Um, so I'm just so if you're, you know, with a population of what over a billion on one side and and what was population of US three hundred million or so three hundred fifty, yeah. um, if you you know if you think a picture of a day in the life of one of if you if you take an average citizen if which clearly doesn't exist from one of those countries, and how do these big sort of movements these macro movements how does that affect an individual? But you know, in, in one sense you can't compare. Um, but in another sense, maybe we've talked a little bit about this in, in the kind of the hang. I mean, I know we were talking about empires, but kind of the hangover things of law um, and language and those sort of continue to have long tail effects. If that's, you know, not quite. I don't know. I'm, I'm groping towards a question, but I don't think I've got one. Yeah, but I think I think I, I think I know where you where you're sort of going. And I think the the issue for me is, you know, the, uh, how it affects the citizenry is is really sort of. Um, yeah psychologically i don't i don't think it has an immediate tangible effect on their you know how how much money they have or or whatever but i think it, it's mainly psychological and and if you look at those shifts i was thinking about you know how so so obviously war is a is a is a big indicator military shifts you know things like the sacking of rome right mm. a, a good example but then you've got other sort of shifts uh like technological ones right so when mm. the soviets put um you know uh, a human into space that really put put the the wind up uh you know the the americans and 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 the american populace itself you know insisted on on well there was political drive towards a space program and 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 so on um then you get political kind of shifts like the collapse of 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 the soviet union uh which oh. can be very dramatic and precipitous um but then you know the, perhaps it's the economic shifts that are the ones that are are less seismic unless you get you know like a, a sort of great depression that like hyperinflation in, in in germany but not you know perhaps in the rest of of the world but um but by by and large you know there are different er- areas those kind of things can happen in and i think the the impact that they um that they have on on the population in the in the country which is perceived to be the greater power at at the time is one of sort of demoralization and maybe a re-energization uh, mm-hmm. and in the country that's on on the up or the you know the power that's on the up um i it's it's obviously you know a sort of morale booster and you know um galvanizes kind of national pride i suppose yeah um, i mean you could say that it's it's you know the shift in power is a symptom 
of the things that people are actually experiencing. So, you know, if you have a, na a nation like the US in the 19th century, which experiences incredibly rapid economic growth, um, actually, that's the thing that people are experiencing. And then as a side effect, you are also a, a top dog nation, you know, by the end of it. Um, that's one view. It's sort of actually... You know, the, the relative power has very little impact on individuals. Um, but I don't want to underestimate what Chris is talking about, because I think there is a big um, there is a big uh, th that psychological feeling of doing things right is something which I none of us have grown up with. Uh, I mean, we, we've grown up with, you know, certainly in the, in the sort of 70s and 80s, uh, you know, people were talking about how Britain, you know, in the 70s, Britain was the sick man of Europe. And, you know, people are very discontent with that. People don't mm. like living in a country which feels like it's, um, you know, at the end of its tether. And and I think the, uh, you, you know, you could look at something like um, how Margaret Thatcher was able to able to galvanize, you know, su support and things like winning the Falklands War, which a very minor, you know, uh, uh, event really in geopolitical terms. What it, uh, Borges called it: two bald men fighting over a comb. Mm -hmm. But for for Britain, it was massive. You know, mm -hmm. it was like that. Now people felt different the day afterwards. So, so I think I think that psychological feeling, what it must have felt like to live in, to be in 1920, to be British in 1920, and look at the map of the world and think we we control, uh, you know, a, a quarter of this. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, compared to you know what it felt like to be british in the 1970s where you thought what's happened was it all gone uh, uh, you know it, it's, it's significant that has a significant yeah. effect and, yeah. I, and I would imagine that the, yeah i would imagine that that you know if i was chinese right now i'd, I'd be pretty happy be with the way great. things are turning out yeah, yeah. um i don't think we've got time i was i would like to ask a question but i don't really have we don't really have time so i think we'll wrap up yeah yeah we'll just stop okay. there just yeah, like, exactly. just like, a, just oh, like the, uh, just like the British end. Empire, yeah, yeah. we just, we were going really strongly there, and now it's just all come crashing down. <laughs> but that's probably better than you know than the ro taking the more the Roman approach and starting well and then having twenty five. Yeah, minutes you don't want to be you don't want to be in uh, terminal decline for for too long. You just want and then get invaded by the Ottomans. Yeah, exactly. Just, just yeah. shuffle it's off the, the last end thing of your you <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So on that note, um, we'll wrap up. Uh, so thank you as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew, been here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And until next time, goodbye. Mm -hmm.